to today's online service. We're so glad that you're watching, whether you've never watched before or you tune in every single week. And it'd be great if you said hello to someone in the comments, that'd be awesome. So before we start, I just want to pray um, about today's service. So God, I just thank you that we get to meet together, even though it's online, Lord. And we just thank you for this opportunity and we're just grateful that we can have this, Lord. And we just pray today that as we praise you, God, as we listen to your word, that actually you'll speak to us through what's said. We just pray that you're going to give us a new insight in this, in this time, God, and that we'll remember that we are loved. And actually, even when things are really difficult, that you can be the strength for us in this moment, God, in this season, Lord. We just pray that you're right here with us, wherever we are, whether we're in our living room, whether we're in our bedroom, we just pray that you're with us in this moment and that we can really just tune into you and not be distracted, Lord. I just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're now going to go into our time of worship. And the great thing about the fact that we're at home and we're online is that we can sing. We no longer have to think, oh, I can't sing, but actually you can sing it out. And just take this opportunity. I want to encourage you to take this opportunity to sing out to God, to praise God, to say your thanks, to say, God, I glorify you because... That is why God made us. God wants us to glorify him. And we want to take that opportunity with two hands and take that today. So we're going to go into our first song now. Good morning, everyone. It's fantastic to be here with you. Uh, it's great to bring you God's word. And it's a real privilege to be able to... Uh, to do that with, with my family with me. Um, you'll have heard me talk previously as we've, we've spoken about different subjects, about how if something crops up in the Bible more than once, if it's repeated many times, it, it's a good indicator that that's important and we should sit up and take notice of it. The same is true in life. If people speak to us about the same subject multiple times, it's generally an indicator that it's an important topic and, and we should address it. Well, that's happened to, to me in the last few weeks. Um, I mentioned this to some people on our Wednesday night group a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I want to uh, pick up on, on a particular topic today. On the Wednesday night group, some of us are working through a course called How to Pray. It's a really good course, and it allows us to explore prayer, it allows us to pray together, and it allows us to, to get some real, real golden tips about, about the ways we should pray. Uh, in the first week, we covered uh, really rocket um, science stuff, such as uh, keep it simple, keep it real, and keep it up that our prayer life is simply talking to God, that it should be about ourselves, about the reality of our lives. It's not made up, it's not fancy words. It is us talking to our Father. And keep it up. Prayer is something that takes place in a repeated fashion. I don't mean we repeat the same prayers all the time, although sometimes that's helpful. Um, simply that... We keep going back to prayer. Uh, there's a quote, it's ascribed to Spurgeon, it's ascribed to Smith Wigglesworth and probably many others, that they, those people never went more than five minutes or half an hour without praying. And they only prayed 
for five minutes or half an hour because they kept it simple and real and they kept the prayer up. The thing that's been striking me lots over the last week, few weeks is I've had four people now say to me words to this effect. I would ask for prayer, but there are so many people that need prayer more than me. Or I would put something on the prayer chain, but I'm just looking at the other topics on there and they're, they're, they're far more important. It's really interesting how there is a translation between our hearts and minds and the words that come out of our mouths. What do I mean by that? Well, I think what's really being said is this. There are so many people that need prayer more than me. There are so many people that deserve prayer more than me. There are so many people that are more worthy to be prayed for than I am. There's other people out there that are more likely to see prayer work. Other people that get prayed for, it will be effective because they've got faith. I don't want to put my prayer out there because it's trivial and it's silly. Now, I'm not condemning anyone, but I want this morning to look a little bit at the heart of God and why, in the context of praying to our loving Father God, in the context of having a real prayer life, it makes no sense to not bring things to prayer just because other people have got needs. And to do that, I want to start with the reading for today. John 11, verse 35. And it says, Jesus wept. That's it. It's often cited as the shortest, or at least in English, the shortest verse in the Bible. And yet it gives us one of the most powerful insights into the heart of God. To understand the nature of this, we need to hear the whole reading. The whole of John 11 verses 1 to 44. It's quite a long passage, but bear with it. If you've got a Bible, follow along. We'll unpack some of this later, but for now... Let's enjoy listening to the Word of God. Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples said to him, just now, 
the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Aren't there twelve hours in a day? Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble, because the light is not in him. He said this, and he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was just speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that it wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas said to the fellow disciples, let's go too, so that we may die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one that, who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind, man eye, blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead for four days. But Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed that you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. 
Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you will always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound and hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Thanks, Alice, for reading that. It's quite a long passage and there are some confusing elements in it. But it's a real insight into the way that God handles prayer. It's a real insight into how God sees our issues and responds to them. We're going to unpack some of the key points in it. And we're going to start off with who was Lazarus? Well, in some ways, Lazarus was a nobody. We know more about his sisters and his home in Bethany than we really do about Lazarus. He appears in the Gospel story not because of any shining qualities, um, not because of an amazing personality or because of any resounding achievements, but solely because of the amazing miracle that was given to him. He was perhaps quite an undistinguished sort of man. You know, the sort of person that was scarcely heard of half a mile from home. And yet it was to him that this very wonderful thing happened. In other ways, Lazarus was incredibly important. He, like Mary and Martha, was a friend of Jesus. Everything that happened in this story is based around that. As it says in verse 3, Lazarus was loved by Jesus. Jesus brought Lazarus back from the dead, not because of who Lazarus was, but simply because he was known and he was loved by Jesus. Every time we take a prayer to the Father, every time we say how our day's been, every time we complain about how we don't think life's fair, or we give thanks for something that's happened, Father God, Jesus, here's that, not because of who you are, not because of what you've done, not because of an eloquent words you've used, or you've used some seemingly special formula of attaching three lords at the beginning and amen at the end. God hears your prayer, hears your conversation, because he knows you and he loves you. Now I don't know about you, but if there's somebody in your life that you love, you want to hear about their day. You want to hear about their successes, their challenges. You want to hear about, quite frankly, the fluff in their life. You delight in knowing of the things they've done. You delight in knowing how they feel. The same is true of our Father. And that's my first point. We come and we say, I would ask for prayer, but that person over there, 
They're more important. Or their needs are greater. God doesn't care. God is interested in you. It says he knows every hair on your head. He wants to know every detail of your life. He wants you to share that with him. As we go through the story, um, as we, we, we find out that Jesus knew that Lazarus was dead even before he got the news. Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die right at the beginning. In verse 4, we hear Jesus say, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And that's the first confusing statement, because it says he will not die. Lazarus will not die. But the inference in there is that he will. He will and something will happen in order to glorify God. Jesus knew at the outset that Lazarus would die. It would be no surprise when he gets eventually to Lazarus that Lazarus would be dead. But even with that in mind, when Jesus arrived in Bethany, Jesus cried. Jesus knew the desire of the sisters for him to go at once and heal Lazarus. But he didn't. Instead, we read another confusing statement in verses 5 and 6. It says, Out of his love for Martha, Mary and Lazarus, Jesus stayed two more days in his place, even after he learned that Lazarus was ill. Lazarus was less than a day's walk from where Jesus was. But Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. Was that because Jesus didn't care? Clearly not. It says that he loved Lazarus. And it says clearly that he stayed where he was out of love for Lazarus and Mary and Martha. That's really confusing. If somebody came to me and said that, that Andrew, my son, was ill, I'd be there. I would, I would drop what I was doing and I would go. But Jesus had a different view on the situation. Jesus took the time to delay going to see Lazarus because he was committed to work in the timelines of Father God. He was committed to work to a timeline that brought about a situation where not only was Lazarus restored, but also glory was given to God. John 5:19 says, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. I suspect part of Jesus wanted to go and see Lazarus there and then. He'd want to be with his friend. But Jesus obeyed God's timings. The sisters had asked, 
The need was known to God, but there was a waiting period to begin. I think that's critical for us. We don't have to wait for our situations to be critical before we take them to God. We don't have to wait until there's no other chance of success in the natural world before we take to our knees and pray about something. God doesn't want to be a God of last resort. He encourages to be open and honest with the smallest of things. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. If your version of Philippians says, do not be anxious about the really serious things and only bring the things that are really important to God because God doesn't want to deal with the little things that you should be able to deal with yourself, you've got a wrong version of the Bible. Throw it out, buy another one. In every situation, we are not to be anxious, but we are to take by prayer and petition and thanksgiving our requests to Father God. The text makes it really clear. Jesus knew Lazarus was dead at the point he arrived in Bethany. Before he got there, he'd spoken to his disciples and he enigmatically stated that our friend Lazarus had fallen asleep and that Jesus himself was going to go and wake him. But his disciples didn't get it. In the end, Jesus had to spell it out plainly. Jesus did that because he needed the people around him to understand what the facts of the matter were. You know, sometimes we don't take our troubles to God because we don't understand the facts of the matter. We understand our view of it, but we don't necessarily understand either an objective view or God's view of the situation. If we don't have the facts laid out, then how can we understand the consequence of our situation? Jesus was making it clear of the consequence of the situation that Lazarus was in. Some of you, if you've been watching the television in the lead up to the Christmas, will have seen an NHS advert called It's Only. It goes along the lines of people saying, it's only a little cough. It's only a small lump. It's only a little blood. The advert points out that it's the it's only in those statements that stops people seeing their GPs. The advert emphasises that the it's only is often nothing. But sometimes, on occasion, it's the indicator of something serious. Now I don't want us to think of God simply as some sort of supernatural health service, but the analogy holds true. Your father is interested in hearing about the its only's as well as the its majors 
When we take our its onlys to God, he sometimes reveals something more behind them that we need to address. God doesn't need us to filter out the inconsequential. He doesn't need us to filter out the boring. He doesn't need us to filter out the silly. He wants to know all of it. He wants us to go to him with the it's only prayers. Let him, the author of all wisdom, decide what matters. After all, we may not have it right. When Jesus arrives in Bethany, he knows that Lazarus is dead. And he knows that in a few moments' time, Lazarus will be alive again. But still, the text tells us that Jesus cries. Why is that? He knew the situation. He knew the resolution. He knew that the resolution was going to be positive, but he still cried. Do you know, I, I'm sure that Jesus could see Martha's frustration. When Martha says to him in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus responds, your brother will rise again. Jesus could see the sorrow and the loss, both in Martha, Mary, and those surrounding the sisters. Jesus was moved again when he saw the reality of the situation that Lazarus was in, sealed in a tomb. That situation impacted on the people stood around, and it impacted on Jesus' heart. Jesus knew there was nothing to be bothered about, but Jesus was incredibly moved and interested that the people in Lazarus' lives were bothered by his death. God is interested when we are bothered by something. The cause of what is bothering us may be inconsequential or may be huge. It's not relevant. God takes note that we are bothered. Don't hide it from in your prayer life. I don't know if, like me, you've ever been walking along, uh, and I've been walking and, and I've had either a little stone in my shoe or, or my, uh, my socks been rucked or, or my boots not been quite tied. And it's been, it's been something minor, but I haven't dealt with it. I've carried on walking, only to find that, that much further around the walk or, or even when I've got home, I've got a blister or a hole in my foot or a sore patch or it's uncomfortable and I'm miserable. It may be something inconsequential in my shoe, but it bothered me. And the outcome of that was not good. God is interested in the fact you are bothered. Go to him. Speak to him. Tell him your day. Tell him 
your fears. Tell him your desires. You know, Jesus knew eternity and the kingdom better than anyone else could. Because the world is full of pain and regret and loss and depression and devastation and that little thing that you don't feel worthy of prayer, Jesus cried. Jesus cried because knowing the end of the story doesn't mean you don't find the journey sad. I think that's something we need to, to really focus on. You will know that this, this past week we, we lost Anne. Anne died uh, on Monday. Uh, and that's incredibly sad. There's real joy in the fact we know she's with Jesus. There's real joy and comfort in the fact that she was able to spend some time with part of her family and she was able to pray for them and bless them. And, and, and we're told she, she was at complete peace. She knew where she was heading and she welcomed that. But that doesn't mean it's not sad as well. Jesus cried at Lazarus. He cried because there was sadness in his relationship with Lazarus he loved him, but also in the lives of those around him. And it's not the only place that we see Jesus crying in, in the Bible. We read that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus quotes from Psalm 42. It says that he was distressed and agitated and grieved his distress arose from the approaching events of, of the coming of the Passion, the, 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 the beginning of the Easter story. His distress rose because he knew he was betrayed. He knew he was going to be arrested, tried, mocked, beaten and crucified. Indeed, he'd prophesied this to his disciples to prepare them for his events. Jesus cried because of what was going to happen to him. Jesus cried at the death of Lazarus. He cried in the garden. Finally, we see him cry out on the cross. This time, he's not crying for an individual. He's not even crying for himself. Although the words he speaks sounds as if he may be. At the cross, we hear a genuine divine lament as Jesus cries out, recognizing the suffering of Israel and humanity as it is taken onto himself. Jesus articulates the words from Psalm 22. He cries out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? You know, that could seem a familiar situation to us all, where we feel far from God. But he, the Psalm 22 doesn't stop there. And how we view Jesus' death on the cross is really influenced by how far into Psalm 22 we read. Because it starts off with that abandonment. But Psalm 22 
goes on beyond that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. And yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. The words that Jesus spoke on that cross that seem so familiar to us, that, that encapsulate our situation, were the precursor to declaring God's sovereignty, God's authority, and a hope that we can have in him. Psalm 22 goes on. If you want a reading for the day, go and read Psalm 22. It details a typical pattern a typical pattern that goes something like this, a pattern that echoes through the whole Bible, through the story of Lazarus and through the story of the cross into today. It starts with concern and sorrow. It then sees trust, hope, salvation and restoration. Please note that trust comes before hope. In most of our cases, that trust starts with, with us taking our situation to God. No matter how small it is. There will be times we feel that God doesn't answer. But let me assure you that enduring is the, not the same as ignoring. When we endure a situation and we don't ignore it, then God doesn't ignore it either. The reason for our patient endurance is the hope and trust we have in God. A hope that is grounded in the fact that God can do anything and that God is fundamentally interested in you and in your life and in every single small element of it. That hope is enshrined in the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead into new life. And we hope in that, in a hope that we cannot see, as Romans 8 puts it, that we too, at the end of our days on earth, will step into a new life. God will resolve our situations. We trust in him. God's interest in you and me is driven simply by his love for us. His interest in Lazarus was driven by the fact that he loved Lazarus. And look what happened there. Not that I'm seeking to die and be resurrected in that sense. 
But I know that if God can do that for a nondescript man that just happened to be somebody that he knew, he can do that for a nondescript man today because God knows me and you. You know, God knows you and he wants to know you. It's not your role to filter out the bits that you don't think God will find important. You're not called to pass judgment on your own worthiness or on someone else's right to have prayer answered. So don't shy away from expressing your desires. Equally, don't be surprised if God has a completely different solution to the problem you take to him. After all, Martha wanted Lazarus healed. God wanted Lazarus restored. God is interested in all. You may have to wait. You may have to endure. I'm sure those four days that, that Mary and Martha waited between the death of Lazarus and Jesus arriving were terrible. I don't suppose they were too good for Lazarus either. I've got some action for us. This week, first of all, if you've got something that needs to be brought to prayer, share it. Don't hold back just because somebody else has asked for some prayer. And then in your own time, be honest with God in all things. Filtering out things is not being honest. Spend five minutes telling God all the things that have bothered you today. All the things that have bothered you but you didn't want to bother God with. Then spend five minutes thanking him for all the things you didn't bother to thank him for either. God's interested in knowing your issues. And he loves receiving your praise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are so interested in each and every one of us. We thank you that you were interested in us even before we knew you. Lord, help us to be real with you. Help us not to put on a brave, smiley face when, when actually we need to come and we need to cry with you. Help us, Lord, to know that, that, that your compassion for us moves you. That indeed you will, you will laugh with us in our successes and our joys. And that you cry with us in our, our sadness. But through it all, you are God. You are steadfast. You are worthy and you are powerful. We thank you that you move in this day. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you're with us throughout this week. We ask that you, you're with us in every point of every day. Lord, we pray for the people that don't know you. And we pray for the challenges in our lives. 
but most of all, we want to thank you that our future is secure. That on that cross and in that tomb and at your resurrection, our future was sealed. That we fear not death. Lord, we thank you for the life of Anne. And we pray that you're with that family. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight, we've got prayer at um, 7 o'clock for half an hour on Zoom. It would be good to join us in that. If you've not joined us on one of those sessions before, come along. It's nice to get together, to speak to God, to be real with each other, to be honest. If you don't know the details, ask for them. We'll soon get them to you. On Wednesday night, we're continuing our midweek group as we learn to pray. It's a great course. If you've missed the first two sessions, it does not matter. Come and join us. There's so much to learn for anyone. We've also got a Humber to the Wash ground level prayer meeting coming up. We'll issue the details for that via email uh, because we're not entirely sure about some of the times just yet. If you are not on our mail distribution list, can I suggest that you join that? You can sign up on the website or contact Jenny or myself and we'll guide you through getting onto that so you can keep up to date with the church. Watch our Facebook page. We'll make some announcements on there and have a fantastic week. Pray that the Lord bless you, that he keeps you, that he makes his face shine upon you, and he gives you his peace. Make time this week to share with God every element. Have a good week. Thank you.